0: Hello and welcome back to What Do You Know For Sure podcast with me, Anne Hughes. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Annette Coburn, who is a youth and community worker and lecturer. What Annette knows for sure is that the idea of sureness is a bit of a slippery concept and actually that we always live in. And uncertainty. But what the conversation goes on to talk is really about social justice, about inequality, about being an advocate for change, and we bring that right round to how we would value a well-being economy. It was a fascinating conversation, to be quite honest, about the things that we value in our society, about children just now in February 2021 in Scotland, with children starting to go back to school in the next week and how we need to negotiate what the curriculum values is important and that conversation is always the starting point of learning. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. Annette, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: And it's a real great pleasure to be here this lunchtime too.
0: Aye, thank you. Thank you. Tell us a wee bit about you, Annette. Okay,
1: so I'm Annette Coburn and I currently work at the University of the West of Scotland teaching youth and community work. If you'd asked me that, 40 years ago, I would never have believed that that's what mm-hmm. I'd be telling you today because I started out going to a youth club, the key youth centre in East Kilbride, um, where I still stay, and um, just fell in love with the the, the, the way that the, the place worked and how it was informative and educational and interesting, but it wasn't like, you know, going to what I thought a youth club was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And you got to meet loads of people and make loads of friends. And then I asked the youth worker one day, what do you do? And he said community work community education. So I went to college and then was a practitioner for 26 years. And um, during that time, uh, you know, I worked with mostly around youth work and adult education, but I see that community development as a, a part of our practice underpins everything that we do. And then for some strange reason, I was at an event one day in Jordan Hill, And somebody said to me, you know, why don't you think about doing a master's or applying to come and work here or do something? So I kind of tripped into it. I've never Mm -hmm. been one of these people that set a goal and said, right, that's me. I'm determined. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get there in five years. So I kind of tripped into um, doing some part time work. And now, um, I'm, as I say, I'm full time at the University of Scotland and programme leader, actually, in the community education BA honours degree.
0: Excellent, yeah. excellent, and I've heard only good things about you of course Annette Because you're one of my big sister's really good pals Yes, and
1: she's amazing, so yes
0: uh-huh. I, it's, it's So I'm excited to, to know, I keep getting told how wise you are Annette So tell me, what do you know for sure? Oh my
1: goodness, wise, I've been called a lot of things But <laughs> that's not always one of them Yeah, I would say I, I, the first thing, thinking about that is I a kind of prompt Like what do I know for sure? I don't think there's anything that any of us know for sure The idea of sureness is a kind of slippery concept for me. It's an idea that, you know, we can't predict. And actually, we're living through times just now that that phrase is being used often. We would never have predicted that this is where we would be right now in 2020, 2021. And so the certainty that some people actually seek and and are always looking for has always been something that I've never really found attainable or, or possible so, in a sense, what I know for sure is that there's always uncertainty. What I know for sure is that things can always be changed. So if you don't like the structure and the system that's happening in the world, you can you can take action and change it or you can do something about it in order to at least have a conversation and some, some discussion about it. Mm-hmm. And the kind of society that we've got just now might not be the kind of society that we, if we really think about it is the kind of society we would want. So... When you say, Well, for sure, we're stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a certainty, you know, we have to live in a capitalist society, and that's the way it has to be. We're, we're so entrenched in it. What could we possibly do instead? And I say, Well, there's lots of things we could possibly do instead, mm. but we would need to be changing, you know, for example, the education system. We would need to be changing how we think about what makes a good life, yeah. how we think about how we value each other, how we think about, you know, when people talk about. Um, currently, just now, people say, oh, gross domestic product is really low. You know, the, the economy is measured in the, the production of, of goods and services that we then all have to work our socks off to end up having the money to buy all these goods that sometimes we need, but sometimes we didn't really need. Yeah. We're just sold by a market employee that mm-hmm. this you'll feel better if you buy this. And, and so what happens is we end up feeling trapped in a, a situation where we are you know we're stuck and yep. nothing can change because this is fixed mm-hmm. and actually nothing is fixed in in the world that I occupy yeah. everything's open for challenge and everything's open for change and and I think it's for me that's quite reassuring for other people I know that's really yeah, scary Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask
0: you that I mean how do you cope with uncertainty on a personal level I
1: kind of quite enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I get bored quite easily. I think mm-hmm. if you do the same thing all the time, every day, that's I guess that's why I, I so enjoy and I think it's such a privilege to have been a community worker for, for all mm-hmm. those years and then now to be teaching in higher education, other people who are going to be uh, using community workers. And actually what I, I often say to students, you know, what I do in here isn't that much compared to what I did outside, I'm working with people who are interested or have been told they have to be there, you know, uh, it used to be young people because the school had said, you know, you need to go to the youth centre because you're not coming to school so you're going there, Mm -hmm. and it used to be that, and now it is that people think they've got to be there to get the qualification, Um, but some people are there because they want to be there, they've chosen to be there, Mm -hmm. and so... I've always worked with people, I've always worked with people who were interested in learning, who were interested in grappling with problems as a way to work through things and develop their own resilience, their own inner strength, their own Mm -hmm. idea of who they are in the world, their identity or whatever, so... There's not a huge, in my head, in my world, there's not a huge distinction between youth work and community community education and the kind of stuff that I do at university. Of course, you talk about SCQF levels, people are studying at different levels, you Mm -hmm. know, they maybe use big poor-faced language in an essay Mm -hmm. to talk about something. But we also do things like um, creative assessments where we don't, you know, exams are basically a a, a memory test and so we use assessment methods that are creative and, and, and you know, develop a website, do a podcast, yeah. you know, create a, a reflective blog or something like that okay. because it's about preparing people for the world that we're in just now. And I think um, those, that variety, mm-hmm. for me, actually nourishes me as much as it enables students to learn or it has enabled other folk in, in a previous occupation to learn because, because the idea of, of something being really just... You know, the same old, same old. I I don't think I could work in a production line. Yeah. Although the guy, you'll never, I can't even spell his name, but his name's Mike Chick sent me hi. Oh
0: nice. He's
1: Hungary, Hungarian, I think he, he started out as, but he, he moved over during the, the Second World War, actually, to the States. He's a very old psychologist who decided um, about 15, 20 years ago to say, look, all this negative stuff about psychology and trauma and, you know, real problematic stuff is useful and purposeful for people who are experiencing it. But actually, there's something about the rest of the world that says we need to think about well-being, we need to think about positivity, we need to think about how people can actually make a good life and make a life worth living. And I don't know how I got onto mic there, but that, that kind of conversation, for me, is really, really important. It's about the kind of life that we think we've got and that we're, we're kind of in, or the kind of people that we are in our families and in our circumstances at birth and the idea that you know for sure the one thing that you can do is change it but if you're scared of that that's coming back round right to the, the idea that if you're scared to change then you almost you almost feel powerless. Yeah but you really you, you know, everybody has power. Everybody's born with power. And, and it's up to all of us to use it in a particular way. There's another guy. I keep talking about guys, and I don't mean to talk about guys, but we know that history is cluttered, cluttered with
0: people. who with them. With <laughs>
1: people who were guys and the women's voices were silent. So we're kind of we're stuck with, we're referring to older times, but a guy called Michel Foucault who talks about the power that we have and it being an inert, you know, something that's inside all of us equally yeah. the same. Mm -hmm. And what happens in life is that we are sometimes persuaded or for other reasons, we give up our power to others. So in a a social structure like a government, we we cast a vote, we're giving our power to somebody who we trust to make a good run of things in, in our best interest. And that's how in society we we do give legitimately, uh, you know, we're encouraged to give up our power through the vote. But sometimes people are in situations where they feel powerless and and actually don't realise that they do have the power to do something Mm. to affect change, to do actually make a difference. And sometimes that's about improving how they feel about themselves in order to feel able to do something. Or sometimes it's about developing strategies for connecting with others in the community in order to lobby for change yeah. or, or, you know, make a difference. Uh-huh. And, you know, when you think about it just now and all the, the climate change stuff, and you've got Greta Thunberg leading the world, mm. you know? And, I, I mean, it's inspiring and amazing um yeah. to... to you know, to think of
0: that. You know, I love I love youth work. One of my best friends is, is a great youth worker and I feel as if I understand young people better having worked with youth workers. So I love the work that you are doing. Do you think within that whole strat I mean, you're in the privileged position, as you've said, of educating our next generation of youth and community workers. Mm-hmm. Do you try to instil them with this, Things will change all the time, and you have to embrace change because you yeah. can imagine in their day-to-day work they're going to find a lot of change going on. But is yeah. that something you really instill in them to try and translate onto the people that they're working with? Translate is probably not the
1: word I would use, but no, yeah, um, <laughs> one of the things that, that in terms of a community education degree. Eh- Any community development degree, you know, I'm at UWS, but there's four or five different institutions in Scotland that have degrees similarly. And social justice and equality and human rights are at the heart of every community community education and community development degree. So if you believe in those things and those are the bedrock of your practice, then you have to be an advocate for change. Because, let's face it, we're not very fair, equal, just... And and you know human rights are great if you know you've got them mm-hmm. if you feel empowered empowered to use them and assert them if you feel that you know you can you can assert your human rights then everything will be fine and we all know that the Declaration of Human Rights was passed in 1948 and here we are still having to have you mm-hmm. know strong levels of protest for the most basic of of needs and and rights so we we those are the values those are the the subject areas that underpin are teaching Mm -hmm. and therefore you're already talking about change you're already talking students are learning about change there's a guy called another guy called (laughs) Paul Fier and what he does is he talks about and, and Henry Giroux and a woman called Shirley Steinberg and Antonia Darder Yes. Um, and myself, I have to say, and a, a, another colleague um, called Sinead Gormley up at Glasgow University, um, we write about critical pedagogy, we practice critical pedagogy and in our teaching with Eddie Began and David Wallace, part of the, 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 the core, but the idea is that at the core of what we teach is this idea of we need to change. Mm. We need to embrace change. And even in, in lockdown circumstances, even in the circumstances just now, when when students are having conversations with me over a coffee or in a class, we're we're talking about understanding communities and how communities are impacted by a range of things. But of course the, the conversation often at the moment turns to COVID and things like that. And and what what we will say, you know, students will say sometimes is, you know, but you know, if we could get back to normal. And my question then becomes, so what was so good about normal? Mm. What did normal prepare us for? If we believe in a well-being economy, for example, you know, there's talk about instead of just gross domestic product, we should be thinking about well-being. If ever there was an example of that, then now it's in the, the, the way that people are responding to the school's closure. Yeah. And the school's... And the way that the education system has prepared us. So the schools closure is a problem because people don't know how to be without Mm -hmm. the school. You know, that that system is so pervasive throughout all of our lives that kids are at home and people are having to homeschool. Now, they're not. They're at home helping kids to learn. Mm -hmm. They're not school teachers.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: But in a well-being economy, the questions I'm asking students to think about just now is, what is it that schools are preparing us for? What is it that schools are actually helping us with to go through something like this, to go through these unexpected mm-hmm. things? How many people are currently all the all the media, social and the, the usual stuff, journalism, television, whatever, are all talking about how difficult everybody's struggling at the moment, how difficult it is, because people's mental health is is really, you know, taking a, 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 a real hit in terms of how we're all feeling and we're all having ups and downs but if you started out with low resilience then then you know you're really in a more difficult position or a more extreme position than people who tended to be absolutely thinking that they were fine Mm -hmm. but of course along comes a pandemic and then we're all experiencing dark days dark hours dark minutes Mm -hmm. dark weeks you know, we're all struggling. We're hankering for a sunny holiday. We're hankering for all these things. And so I'm saying to students, so why do we not know about all these things in school? Why do we not know how to look after ourselves physically yes. and mentally. Mm-hmm. Why do we not understand about respect in schools if you're thinking about equality and social justice? Why are these subjects not to the fore in our mm-hmm. schooling education system? If we believe in a well-being economy, so currently the view I would have of this would be that the, the current education system, probably across the Western world, I can't speak for anywhere else, but you know the current education system tends to be uh, around probably not the Scandinavian, they tend to be more open and and broad-minded on on what education is for. But the, the idea that education at the moment seems to me, the school system, to be churning people through a system to get a job. Yes it's your qualifications, it's your exams, which really count for nothing other than they show that you've got a good memory because you remember things. Mm-hmm. You've got the exams, you've got all that. So the worry last year was, oh, no, I've not done an exam. I was going round parks last summer when we were allowed out, we were social distancing, and you were meeting a couple of young people maybe sitting, talking or whatever, maybe three or four, and they were you know, a few feet apart and they were really observing it. And they were finishing their school year and I was saying, by the way, don't ever let anybody tell you that you were the year that did it when it was COVID and you never sat an exam. Mm -hmm. And, oh, that somehow makes you feel inferior. Because, actually, you're surviving COVID. You're getting through this year. And you've got grades here. And the bottom line is, despite COVID, you've succeeded yep and if that's just a memory test you should be saying and we're we're from the year that got through it the first time we had covid definitely i mean i should be looking for that you know
0: see as a youth worker and an educator what is your reflection on what is most important about whether or not kids return to school is it about their education is it about their well-being because as you know I'm I'm on the board of children first and when Mary Glasgow the chief exec said to me that she decided in her household to prioritize her son's well-being and not be getting on his back about has he done his homework I found that I I had a sigh of relief oh thanks Mary for giving me permission almost right and I mean you know me I'm I'm no look backward and making my voice be heard or standing up for myself. Or, But I found that she gave me permission and that makes you see how oppressive it is, doesn't
1: it? Yes, yes. Because you don't need permission. You right, have the power. Have and so when I've been having Zoom conversations with the 40 students mm-hmm. and some of them, their kids come in and they, they now know and they oh, hello, and we give me waves and all that. But what happens is they, they then share stories. So they've had to do some piece of homework, they've had to do something. There was one when it was when it was Burns night, somebody came in, a kid came in and, and the, the mum had said, you know, tell them tell them what you're doing for your I have to cook a Scottish, a traditional Scottish dish, mm-hmm. but I don't like haggis. And I said, Well, you don't need to have haggis. Ah, but the teacher says I've have to have haggis and I've got to eat it. And I was like, No, the teacher's not going to force you to eat haggis. Even vegetarian I guess the teacher's not going to say you have to, if it spicy and you don't like it, you don't like it. But there was this compulsion. And then other people were saying, but we have to do the homework. And I said, but, if, if you know, do you ever say to your child, what do you want to do today? I'm your school teacher for today. but would you like to do? Oh, but we've got a list of things from the school. And I said, no, but you're at home. You're being called the person at home. You're the person who's, who's having to do the, the learning in the house. If you want to destroy every positive aspect of the relationship you've got with your child and, you know, tear your hair out and have a lot of snot and tears and, and stamping on the floor, then by all means, keep trying to stick to somebody else's curriculum. Mm. If you negotiate the curriculum with the learner, which is what community educators do, it's always a negotiated curriculum. And Curriculum for Excellence allows us to do that. Curriculum for Excellence allows us to put the person at the centre and to to embrace this idea of conversation as a starting point for learning. And so if you negotiate that, then you could have a, a, a different relationship to learning at home and also imagine your child going back to school and saying, well, I chose what I was doing. I, my, my dad let me pick, you know, I could do PA first thing every morning.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas in school, I don't get to do it every day. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of idea of just because somebody's only seven or eight or 12, doesn't mean to say they don't have power either. They yes. know what they want to do today. Mm-hmm. They know what's good for them in terms of, if I'm feeling like I want to do maths, then go ahead. Yes. But if I'm not feeling like it, why sit? I say to students just now a lot, why sit staring at a screen trying to type up an assignment or, you know, develop a website or whatever it is you're doing for your assessment? If you're sitting at a screen for more than 10 minutes and it's not coming, don't don't sit at the screen any longer. Yep. Leave. Go away. Go, going. And the idea, so that for me, I, I know I keep returning to this well-being economy, if we are teaching to a well-being economy, mm-hmm. schools are very different. Curriculum for Excellence allows that allows yeah. that diversity in a school, but schools are very different. So we, the question there has to be: What kind of professionals do we need in a school? Mm-hmm. Do we need youth workers in every school? I would clearly advocate yes. Definitely. I you know, have mm-hmm. um, worked in schools, and there's been different phases when people have put uh, you know youth workers into schools. But the idea is, right now, I think this pandemic has shown us how much young people's well-being is part of their education. Yes. And everything that needs to happen around young people's well-being and confidence building and feeling good about themselves and, and, you know, all the kind of preparation for work and all of those kind of things. Community educators have been doing good, solid youth work in schools for years, but it's been ad hoc. I think if we have a well-being economy, we have to start thinking about the education system and saying, what counts? And it's not about saying, we only do the fluffy stuff. It's about saying sometimes maths is the fluffy stuff. If we're kinda of near the end, I have got a wee story to tell you. I've got a doctorate. You can call me Doctor Coburn if you like. I came into the, the institution to do research, but part of the job criteria is you've got to get a doctorate. So so you were driven down that, that route and I never thought I never thought I would do it. I couldn't even get any initial teacher education class a course in our, our institution because I don't have my maths full grade. Mm. Now, O grades, for those of you that are listening to this who are younger than me, I'm <laughs> 61 so uh, O grades are like, they were, they were less than standard grades even at the time, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and so I, I tried, three times I sat my maths and I couldn't do it so maths was the fl- fuzzy, fluffy subject for me mm-hmm. that I couldn't get, I couldn't do but how important it is to, to assess somebody's capacity to look after themselves how important it is to think about how somebody will cope when change happens
0: mm-hmm.
1: how we can build resilience not the kind of coping resilience that's like oh you're, you're a victim or something and you need resilience dig deep and you can deal with any, anything that happens in your life you dig deep, no we want a better life for everybody yes. but we want to be resilient enough as individuals and then as communities to fight for the, the things that we want and that we love and that are precious and to make that good life mm-hmm that we want to make rather than the one that a system is kind of forcing us into i could talk forever i could talk about i heard heard you could
0: talk forever annette but thank you so much yeah Yeah. i love the chat about the wellbeing economy thank you so much for bringing that onto the podcast i really appreciate it okay Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching Anne Hughes Ignite. If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you.